to For the Record, our bi-weekly show in which we take one recently released album and take a deep dive into it. You can listen to us every other Thursday at 9.30 a.m. on BFF.fm or subscribe to the podcast at ForTheRecordPodcast.com. This time we're talking about the debut album from Courtney Barnett, a singer-songwriter from Melbourne, Australia. It's called Sometimes I Sit and Think and Sometimes I Just Sit, and this is a clip from the first track. Headphone wielding to the Nicholas building He chips on a pothole that's not been filled in He waits for an elevator, one, two, nine A lady walks in and waits by his side Her heels are high and her bag is snakeskin Hair pulled so tight you can see her skeleton Vicar's perfume on her breath A tortoiseshell necklace between her first song is called Elevator Operator, and we played a minute and a half of that because I think it really gives you a good idea of the range that Courtney Barnett is able to explore on this album. And in this track, it's really up-tempo, there's a pervasive humor, vivid storytelling, and yet throughout there's this dark existential thread talking about suicide and just becoming disillusioned. And this, I think, uh, theme that is repeated of projecting your insecurities onto other people. Yeah, I think it's interesting that this is the only song on the album where the story is told with third-person characters, and the rest of the track are all sort of her signature voice that she's developed in her preceding EPs, where she's observing these mundane details and using those as a springboard to talk about her general anxieties and neuroses and big-picture issues with the world. There's a song that comes later in the album called Debbie Downer, where she kind of makes fun of herself and recognizes that if you get too drawn into navel-gazing, it can be boring. So I think that maybe she put this song first where she's completely absent from the narrative because she thought maybe that was a better way to draw people in with this entertaining story before dumping her emotional baggage on them. And it's kind of like a first date where you just want to tell a funny story and like keep the person interested rather than kind of exposing your vulnerabilities. Yeah, it does a great job of pulling people into the album. And throughout, she does use humor, though, as a coping mechanism. I think she's dealing with some pretty heavy stuff. But I think that that helps give this album a a nice through line. And I think starting with this third person also, I think, establishes a nice momentum to the album, starting with this third person story, and then increasingly over the course of the album, I think, becoming personal, stripping away these sort of trivial details to get at the heart of sort of what she's dealing with, both with herself and the world. And I think we really hear this deep self-awareness throughout, but it kicks in in that track you mentioned, especially Debbie Downer, which comes near the end of the album.
those first two tracks we played are number one and number nine on the album sequence, but we wanted to put them together because they both demonstrate two ways that she uses humor to lighten the mood of what could really be a kind of morose exploration of negative feelings. And one thing I noticed about this album is that if you look at a band like The National, who I love actually, but they explore some of these same themes of disaffection and alienation and self-consciousness, but they do it in a way that's very self-serious and can kind of be a downer. But Courtney Barnett, on the other hand, is actively fighting against that. She's she's expressing her negative feelings, but then at the same time kind of poking fun at herself for feeling them in the first place. Yeah, I think that's an effective tool. And along with that humor also, I think a lot of these songs have incredibly catchy choruses and even on the songs where the verses are really dark and even in some cases not particularly melodic there's still this burst of sunshine that comes in with a really catchy chorus and i think in this song it's there's this additional sweetness that comes in from these nice uh, kind of retro organ sound i think some kind of interesting synth bursts it's really bright yeah, the organs and the beat on these first two that we played have a real 60s garage rock sort of feel. It reminded me a lot of like early Rolling Stones. Yeah, I hear a lot of different influences. One of the charms of the album is the range of different sounds, because I think other times, you know, here I think very melodic. Other times she really almost sings in a monotone and it's this more stripped down sound. And it's, re- and it's pretty punk rock precisely because it's so stripped down and still taking on these same themes, though. And we certainly hear that in the second track, Pedestrian at Best. we played on our last episode about what we saw at South by Southwest because as we mentioned then she was one of the most talked about performers this year and she was really great live and seeing her live really made me appreciate how tight her backing band is yeah they're amazing this is actually the lead single and I think it's for a very good reason it's just such a perfectly structured rock song that there's just this build and release of tension and energy the pacing is so even but still varied which I don't even know how that works, but it's just, it, it's this feeling like I never get bored throughout this song. And she has this, as I said, kind of almost a monotone vocal, but it becomes a percussion instrument. And so she's delivering these dense and clever lyrics, but they're very, very clear. And it's just this kind of staccato rhythm. And in the bridge, 
all the other instruments kind of die down and it's really her vocals take the four and she's just got this amazing kind of off kilter stutter stop rhythm it's very very interesting and to me it felt like almost a drum solo Mm -hmm. leading into the chorus and it just heightens these feelings of alienation really well yeah it really speaks to her skill as a songwriter that she's almost shouting at the end of this song, but she's still able to maintain that sort of flat affect, which is what keeps the lyrics from ever tipping over into the zone of what could be construed as like too self-indulgent or self-pitying. And actually what I kept coming back to when I listened to this song was it's the end of the world as we know it and I feel fine. And that chorus to that R.E.M. song. And it's it's like she's conveying that message in kind of the same way. Like I'm screwing this up and I'm going to disappoint everyone, but whatever. Yeah, I, I I think there's this streak of defiance here that she's, you know, acknowledging her imperfections and she's just going with it. Like, I love this line from early in the song where she says, you won't be with me on my deathbed, but I will always be in your head. Where she's like, yeah, this isn't going to work, but you're at least going to remember me, this whatever a train wreck this is that we're in. And, I just, and there's also this really extensive rhyming. And I think in a lesser songwriter's hands, it would not work. But I think here it just adds to this kind of embracing that she's just, she's owning it and there's no shame. Yeah. And she does it while she's really rocking out, which is a change from her earlier EPs that she put out previously. And I'm not sure if this is the same backing band that she had on those EPs, but they're really great. And she gives them some opportunities to really shine on some of these songs, even though the lyrics are always kind of in the forefront with this album. But Pedestrian at Best is one of the songs and another one is this next track Small Poppies where she really like lets the band demonstrate their capabilities. This song almost defies characterization. It's got this almost honky tonk sound to it, and then also this really jazzy feel and these very improvisational sections. Yeah, I thought it was so Stephen Malkmusy, and actually her vocal delivery and style reminds me a lot of Pavement. But at the same time, the reason I never got into Pavement so much is because I find their extensive jam outs too off-putting. I have a real allergy to jam bands, even though I like Pavement. Don't get me wrong, but. <laughs> But here, she knows how to use them sparingly but effectively and not to just kind of be self-indulgent about it. 
And by the way, she writes the melodies herself and the lyrics, obviously, but the band members write their own arrangements. So they deserve credit for that. I think on this song, on this song in particular, you can really see their talent. Yeah, there's a, a lot of range of sound here, but I think what really strikes home for me is kind of at the peak of the song and the heart of the song is this repeated incantation where she's just saying an eye for an eye for an eye for an eye for an eye. And I think it's five times in a row and it's just so primal and it just the first time I heard it, it sounded just like a timeless classic. And I think that's a pretty impressive (laughs) for an album that just came out last month. Yeah. Yeah. And while that song feels very timeless, the next one we're going to play is much more situated in this moment of modern history. And it addresses hyperinflated real estate prices and the reality of 20 somethings today. She's 27, by the way, having to accept a standard of living that is less than their parents and grandparents let them to expect. And this song is called depressed. It's got a lovely garden, a garage for two cars to park in, or a lot of room for storage if you've just got one. And it's going pretty cheap, you say. Well, it's a deceased estate. Aren't the press metal ceilings great? Then I see the handrail in the shower, a collection of those canisters for coffee, tea, and flour, and a photo of a young man in a van in Vietnam. And I can't think of floorboards anymore. I have heard that Melbourne is a lot like San Francisco, and apparently that does extend to people being priced out of the city, and that certainly seems to be what this song is describing. Uh, Preston is, I guess, a suburb that's a few miles out of the heart of the city, and I love how this song really combines that vivid storytelling that we heard in Elevator Operator, these observation of specifics. And here, though, it's, you know, tying into this really personal experience of confronting kind of the economic reality that's pretty rough. And I think also delving into some pretty deeper existential questions of just why are we here? What are we doing? What's the point? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think she articulates well one of the issues facing her generation because the parts of this song that we didn't play, that that was sort of a chunk from the middle, but it starts out where they're going to this kind of run-down outer suburban area and they see somebody getting arrested on the way and they she says it just seems depressing. And but she's saying like, you know, we got this great coffee machine and now I'm saving $23 a week by not buying lattes. And then the song and then they're looking at the house and then it ends with the real estate agent telling them if you've got a spare half million you can knock it down and start rebuilding and that's just repeated into the end of the song and i think she does a great job of setting up that disconnect that basically if you're a regular 20 something who's struggling to save an extra 23 dollars a week you're never going to come within reach of what we call the american dream i don't know if they call it the australian dream but just that feeling that it's hopeless that you're never going to reach that feeling of comfort and stability that the old lady who died there did and I actually, I think that there is a little ambiguity there and I like that it adds an extra nuance to the song that, you know, that there's this lyric that where she asks what, you know, what did she buy it for? What did, mm-hmm. And that could mean either the cost because they're certainly talking about, oh, it's a real deal what we're getting now. How much did she pay for it? But it's also just like, what's the point of buying this? Mm-hmm. 
And I think in the context of the song, those are both reasonable questions to ask. Yeah, I mean, I, I when I first heard it, that I thought it was, what did she buy it for? Like, what was the point? She just died anyway and left all this behind. And like, why did she bother? And then it was later that I realized, oh, I think the intent is also what, how much did she, how much did it cost? Well, there's the yeah the fun question of authorial intent mm-hmm. and how much how much does it matter? I don't think it matters in this case. I think both I, meanings are valid. Yeah, and I think you're right that she did intend it to be ambiguous, and yeah. I like that. Yeah, um, but we you always have your first take, and then ideally you find more, and that's the sign of good art, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, I would just say I like that this is a song that kind of bridges that. It's a very personal experience while touching on kind of big picture, and I think that pivot to looking at some of the bigger picture here economics and then in another song which we'll talk about next she starts talking about environmental issues on this next track dead fox genesis that we buy organic vegetables and i must admit that i was a little skeptical at first a little pesticide can't hurt never having too much money i get the cheap stuff at the supermarket but they're all discussion before the podcast where i was saying that i think that song has backwards guitars in it yeah i don't i don't hear it i think it's just a weird effects pedal well either way (laughs) i think this song reminded me a lot of the beatles revolver with the beat and the jangle of the guitar and either backwards guitars or not and just the whole thing felt very retro but at the same time it's dealing with modern concerns like pesticides on produce and animals killed by encroaching civilization and i do have to mention that even though almost all of this album could have been written by someone living in california the mention of the dead kangaroos by the side of the road was a very specifically australian touch yeah i think while we're we're talking about that i do want to call out that passing on the right is actually not an improper thing to do in (laughs) australia but uh you should remember to indicate i think being the term uh turn signals yeah, the turns exactly, and I I did like this kind of gruesome turn of phrase of the Jackson Pollock on the tar. It's just that's really vivid. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, I also though like in terms of the sound here that the chorus has these nice kind of calm response backing vocals that really flesh out the sound. Yeah, that chorus. I spent some time thinking about what the chorus means and how it connects these two ideas in the song together. And the way I read it is part like part of the song is that she almost gets into an accident with this truck, which presumably has that sticker on it that you see on trucks with the blind spot diagram. And it says, if you can't see me, I can't see you. 
And then extrapolating that concept into caring about the environment and larger issues that are outside her day-to-day experience. And I think what she's saying is the same kind of thing, that I don't see the results of my choice to buy the cheaper non-organic produce and the damage that's done by pesticides. So I'm just kind of like this truck just barreling through, and, and humanity is also just kind of like the truck barreling through the environment and saying basically, you can't see me and I can't see you, so it's hard for me to care. But then when we go from this kind of larger message with big picture thinking to a very concrete meditation on social anxiety and a feeling that we've all experienced in this next song, which is called Nobody Really Cares If You Don't Go to the Party. song is so stripped down and just has such a catchy chorus and it's i think it's amazing that the chorus is just this one line i want to go out but i want to stay home and it's just repeated over and over but somehow that manages to be so catchy it's so melodic uh and i like the the song is really simple and yet at the towards the end we get this this kind of instrumental bridge where there's this blistering guitar solo and they really explore i think some pretty interesting harmonic territories And I like that she breaks up the more sprawling, jammy, big picture tracks with these very concise, catchy, real world pop songs. And there's another one earlier that we didn't play that comes in after Depreston called Aqua Profunda. That's just another short, funny, fast paced song about swimming and laps at her pool and trying to impress this guy in the next lane over and passing out. (laughs) And it's just funny. And like, there's no bigger picture to it. It's just funny and catchy. And that really helps the album from getting too bogged down. And I think it's a really good decision on her part. Yeah, the the balance and pacing of each song and of the album as a collection of songs is really amazing. But I am glad that there's at least one more really grand statement. And we hear that in this penultimate track, Kim's Caravan. There's a paper on the ground. It makes my headache quite profound as I read it out aloud. It said the Great Barrier Reef, it ain't so great anymore It's been raped beyond belief, the dredges treat her like a whore I drank till I was sinking, sank till I was thinking That I'm thankful for this view Drank till I was sinking, sank till I was thinking That I'm thankful for this view we are the thing that we're invincible Or that we are invisible Realistically, we're somewhere in between We all think that we are nobody But everybody is somebody else's somebody Don't ask 
that's almost a seven minute song so we obviously couldn't play all of it but it's such a shift in tone right before the end of the album where she starts out talking about seeing this dying seal on the beach and touches on environmental problems with all the damage we've done to the great barrier reef and then turns very introspective and what i love about this song is that the whole album is just so lyrically dense and then she just ends this with all I really want to say is and then the song just fades away into that great bass line and that's the end yeah I know I described this as a grand statement and not completing that sentence seems at odds with that I think the song has a lot of details that are in that mode though of a grand statement we have this sort of imagery at the beginning of I think a stain a water stain looking like Jesus frowning And then at the end, that same stain now looks like Jesus smiling. Jesus switches genders between those two, which is fun. And then in the kind of in the middle, we hear these backing vocals, which are almost sound like a choir. And it sounds very grand and kind of transcendent. And I think that the message in its own way, it's totally inconclusive, but it's about embracing a role that is inconclusive, that is not very defined because it's sort of this ancient idea of the artist being just like this vessel who doesn't even really understand what's happening as this divine inspiration pours into her. And then also marrying that to this, I think, contemporary idea, modern idea of art really. And, you know, I touched on authorial intent and that here she's saying like, I, what I mean isn't even important. It's what you take from it. It's what you as the audience put into it and place that interpretation. And I think, She's just saying, okay, I embrace that role. I am in this conduit from the divine inspiration to the human interpretation, and I'm almost don't even have a say in it. Yeah, and and I think that's what is what I really love about this album is she balances that out really well with kind of these grander ideas about art and about herself and her like what it means to be a person with these very concrete observations and it's executed so well in a way that makes it look easy and I know that's something that we've talked about before is like it's such hard work and takes such skill to make it look easy but I think that's what's going on here and so with this penultimate track that's so grandiose she brings it back down to earth one last time to close out the album with this very quiet personal song called Boxing Day Blues. And I think that these last two songs together give us some insight into the range that she's capable of as a songwriter. And I'll really look forward to hearing what she does next because this is a great first effort for her first um, LP. So we'll go out with that. We've been talking about Courtney Barnett. Her album is called Sometimes I Sit and Think and Sometimes I Just Sit. Thanks for listening. <laughs>